0: Um, yesterday I said something about potentiality and um, one form of hope which is about kind of getting what we want. I hope that something turns out in a way that I want it to turn out. And then another kind of way of the, of the way we experience hope which is the opening of potentiality. And uh, I want to talk about that potentiality. I want to talk about the potentiality in relationship to vow, and I want to talk about home-leaving. Because one of, the, one of the ways of talking about a priest ordination ceremony is a home-leaving ceremony. And one way of talking about Buddhism is a home-leaving tradition. A home-leaving tradition in the sense of There's the literal sense of home leaving that the Buddha talked about where monastics left home. Although we know now that a lot of those monastics went back home lots of times during the year. But um, they didn't leave permanently. But there was um, this spirit of home home leaving that sits at the center. And in one way, there is a way that Buddhist practice is organized around renunciation. If we were going to take the one thing that kind of sits down and creates the, the center, the magnetic pool, the vortex that Buddhism is organized around, it's organized around renunciation. And as we practice, it becomes something that just slips into our lives, even if we're living at home, right? There's this, we look at our. We're always looking at our lives, looking at our minds, looking at, our behaviors, and there's this sense of what is it to have a renunciatory relationship to my karma and to my habits and to what I'm doing. Becomes more and more pervasive the longer we're doing this. And it doesn't necessarily mean we get rid of stuff, although that often happens, but um, But it is a relationship to the mind that deepens. And when we talk about potentiality, Pashan and I were talking about this over tea earlier this morning, the, um, there is this sense in the beginning that the vow to renounce or even to engage vow at all is to limit possibility. Right? Which is what we, how we see it when we come in. I'm taking a vow not to lie, to restrict my options. Right? If we really step back and look at what our karmic behavior is, are there really infinite possibilities there? Is there infinite potentiality or is that just theoretical? Theoretically, I have infinite potential and the vow theoretically restricts me, right? But if I look at my behavior, I kind of keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's not a lived potentiality. Karma is not a lived potentiality. It's a lived restriction. So vow is not actually decreasing potential in the least, it's giving us other options that we did not have prior. And to have other options, we need the immensity of a Sangha-embraced vow. We need the vow itself, we need the tradition as a force behind the vow, and we need the Sangha as that which embraces the vow with us. Without that, we stay limited the potential of our behavior stays limited. What is fascinating about our lives, prior to practice, is that we have this big story about how I can do anything with my life, you know. That I have freedom of behavior, but nothing is manifesting as freedom of behavior. And then we have the story about vows restriction, and we're afraid of the vow, or we don't want to surrender to vow, or any of these things, because it's going to be restrictive. But in the end, if I, am, if I habitually lie to defend myself, the precept not to lie gives me the option to not lie. To actually interrupt that moment of habit when I am unconsciously and fearfully defending myself, I think, with a lie. And to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Now suddenly in that moment, I am in a big wide open field. That's a terrifying moment, right? I was doing something out of habit over and over and over again to defend myself, to construct myself, all of those things, and I'm choosing not to do that. That's quite the opposite of the restriction of potentiality. It's the terrifying opening of all possibility. It's the feeling that we have at the moment, you know, we're standing on the edge of something. And we realize it's not really a fear of falling. It's the fear of the freedom to jump that is there on the edge of a thing. It's the fear of the freedom, freedom of complete openness, of total possibility that can happen when we say, I am going to live a life that stops the habit. So what's on the other side of that? What am I going to be then? And the Buddha was pointing to this when he talked about home-leaving. That um, we now, I mean home-leaving is more than the literal leaving of home for us, right? It is, we do in many ways to be free, have to leave home. We have to leave the entirety, we have to renounce the entirety of the grip of our ancestral karma on us. Now, that doesn't mean that we're tossing aside, throwing it in the garbage, disparaging it, dishonoring it, any of that. We completely honor that because what came from that tradition was also our survival skills, our wisdom, a great deal, enormous gifts that we've been given but it has us in an unconscious grip. And that's the issue, and therefore it's determining our behavior without us knowing it. Now we may choose to do many of the things that we've inherited, but there's a difference between choosing to do them and having to do them. And so, to be in the freedom of turning toward our ancestral karma with deep gratitude for the home it has given us, for the home that it is, and also with the awakened and liberated discernment to say, and not that part. That part we need to heal from. That part we need to do something else. We need to have a different way of going about things. It worked, I understand why it happened, but there's other, there are other potentialities now that weren't possible in your time. What was possible in your time, you best responded to in the way that you did. What was possible in my earlier being was the best possible response in that moment. But now there's possibility, there's more potential. But the only way that happens, the only way that happens is to kind of stop in the stream and say, I am going to challenge the momentum of this karma with that. I'm going to interrupt the momentum with vow. And so vow becomes the home leaving. Vow itself is the home leaving. And then over time, as the mind is no longer, is less and less unconsciously caught up in its conditioning and there is more freedom. So as we're less and less caught up by the habits of the mind, as we are more and more not in the relationship with thought as ground, as home. then we begin to find ourselves in the groundless. In what we just chanted, there is the line, save the body. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it here too. The better translation of that is actually free the body, which is the food of many lives. The body must be liberated from our attachment to thought, our attachment to view. The body is imprisoned, our bodies are imprisoned by our attachment to our views, imprisoned by our karmic investment in what's been given to us without the freedom to discern clearly and lovingly. And so as we're free, the body is free Now, the interesting, the wonderful thing about the body is it can find its ground wherever. Here I am, ground. Right? We go to another room, I can find ground there, too. I go to another room, I can find ground there, too. I can go anywhere on the planet and be ground. Now, I don't know what space feels like. I'm not even going to go. But (laughs) anywhere, here, my body knows its ground. It doesn't have to think it through. It doesn't have to define itself, right? Now, I don't in any way want to take away the reality of some spaces being more dangerous than other spaces for people and so on. All of that is real. And the body can know, can feel the realities of that in the immediate truth of it, when it's present. What becomes, even in those situations, what becomes difficult is if the mind has taken up that view as something permanent, then nowhere, then you can't settle anywhere. The body can never settle because it's inherited the danger, it's inherited the um, the suffering it's inherited the risk of who knows how many generations. And the reality of the current moment in the world. So that all has to be cared for and honored and loved and metabolized and transformed. That is a huge, that's an enormous part of our practice. And it's an enormous part of what it is to both leave home and respect home at the same time. And when that that is seen as conditioned and not and contextual rather than permanent, it can free the body to find to, to find ground in in a way that it was not able to when those thoughts, and those views, and those habits were the ground. When they were the ground, the body's afraid all the time. And we've all inherited some version of this, whether it's from childhood, whether it's from misogyny, whether it's from racism, whether it's from whatever it is. There are many possible ways that we've inherited, whether it's just that our people had to run from this place, to this place, to this place to stay alive. Or they went through periods of famine, or they went through periods of and encamp- being in camps. There, or they were wiped out. We're carrying all of that in us. We're carrying all that in us. And there is a part of us that is saying, keep an eye out. Keep looking. Keep paying attention. This could happen. This is not safe. That part of us we love deeply. Those are guardian deities that we keep at the temple and we respect happen. Don't lose sight of what the world is. Don't lose sight of the suffering of this place. That would be foolish. And what is it to care for a body that can, in the midst of that, find its ground and roots? in the middle of that know itself as know an original home that isn't dependent on the way everyone talks about home or whether home is safe or this home is safe or that home is safe or this place is good or that place is good but that the body knows itself, knows its Dharma seat sits down and says whatever you say about me Whatever you think about me, whatever's in your mind, whatever's in my mind about me, has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with, none of us know who this body is, or this body is, or this body, we don't know. We don't know anything. It's a homeless, dynamic mystery. Every one of us and we're trying to contain it in our little stories so that we can stay separate and safe. But at some point, if we're going to be with... each other, we have to be able to feel each other in the reality of their context, in this life, in all the mess, and the infinite and the mystery. Those things cannot be teased apart. If we fall on one side, confusion. We believe all the crap we've inherited. If we fall on the other side, confusion. We deny the reality of people's lives. Compassion is not possible on the ultimate frame. Compassion is not by itself. Compassion is not possible on the relative frame by itself. Compassion in the relative frame we will divide, divide the world up into those people who deserve it and those people who don't. Compassion in the ultimate will kind of do this weird thing where it's like there aren't even really people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm compassionate for all the non-people. <laughs> but to meet someone and say, You are the whole of the cosmos locked into a karmic thread. And I know that not everybody can see your eternity. And I know that not everybody can see that you're Buddha and I know that not everybody can see that you're infinite, and I know that not everybody can see that your heart is bigger than the, co- the is as big as the universe. I know that, and I know that you have to live a life where others cannot see you that way. And so I am going to spend my life making sure that I do that I don't make those mistakes. And for me to not make those mistakes, I need to not make those mistakes about myself. I need to do the work of leaving home so that I can be in everyone's home. So that I can be in everyone's place. So that I can live with every person. That I'm not grasping some sense of who I am so I can be with the infinite being that is in every being. And then I can embrace their heritage. I won't, I don't know their heritage from their perspective, but I can embrace their heritage. Because I'm not grabbing onto mine. I can love their heritage. I can love where they are from. without them having to change a thing or become anything like me. Because I don't even know what that is. When Kisagotami was suffering miserably because her child died, and she was walking around with her child over her arms and the Buddha sent her out to find a mustard seed in a house. He sent her to everyone's homes. She had to wake up, not through some abstraction, But through the meeting of everyone else's home, everyone else's heritage, everyone else's suffering, everyone else's being in their place, she had to wake up through that process. She had to leave her home through everyone else's homes. And then she could see her home. Then she could see who she was. You say, oh yeah, I am suffering, and all of it, they are too. She was actually able to become more intimate with her suffering and awaken in it because she became intimate with other people's suffering. It's through the intimacy with each other's suffering that we can awaken to our own. It's through the intimacy with our own suffering that we can awaken to each other's. Sometimes people will say, Well, you have to become intimate with your own suffering before you can become intimate with other people's suffering. Yeah... Yeah. Yes, and you can really get narcissistic. You can really get really wrapped up in your own intimacy with your suffering. There has to be enough intimacy with my suffering that I have the capacity to be with suffering. And then that capacity must be turned to others. So that you can be present with their suffering over and over and over again. And only then, only through the intimacy with everyone else's suffering are you actually going to understand your own. Because only then are you going to see that all of that suffering is intertwined with everyone else's that there actually is no suffering that is yours. That you never had a personal suffering. I never had a personal suffering. My suffering was the believing it was personal. (laughs) My suffering was believing that it was about a permanent home that I called me. So the Buddha says leave that, walk away from that, leave that behind. Go to the other homes and be with that suffering. Be with everyone else's suffering. Not just be with it, but at some point, work to relieve it. Devote your life to the work of relieving that suffering. Understand the causes and conditions of it. Devote yourself to transforming those causes and conditions so that the suffering is reduced. There's nowhere where it says, Buddhism says, and it'll all go away. No. (laughs) There's no, we're very much cyclical time. Sometimes it's really bad, sometimes there's some relief, then it gets hard again, then there's some relief, and so on and so on. There's not this moment where it's like, and we're finished. But, the great thing is, is by being involved, by freeing ourselves from our own self-created, egoic suffering and being with the suffering of others, with a heartfelt vow to relieve it, that cyclical time ain't so big of a deal anymore. So that's fine. Hard time, not hard time, hard time, not hard time. Hard time, I need more sleep. Hard time, I need to take care of my body a little more. I need to pay attention to other people's bodies. There needs to be more rest. Less hard time, we get to play more. But you know, it's still all, It's all the devoted activity of a bodhisattva. We don't wrap ourselves up in the idea of this is hard. Suffering is always going to be here. So how do we become free within it? How do we not generate more of it? How do we understand that we're we're stepping out of the generation role? I'm not going to, I'm going to do my best not to generate anymore. And from that place, I'm going to be involved not just in not generating it, but helping other people not generate it. And taking care of people even when they're generating it. Taking care of all the people. There are lots of people who are never going to get out of the cycle of generating their own dukkha. They're just not. And it's not for us to decide the value of that whether they're good, bad, smart, not smart, it's, it's not for our minds, it's not for our, it's, we don't know that from the, per, the, our perspective is too limited to make any of those kinds of decisions and it will just cause us to suffer more because our mind will think it's confident about a world or another person, which we're not. So really all we're doing when we make those kinds of judgments is talking about who we are when we're saying that person is this, we're really saying, I'm this. I'm gonna use that other person (laughs) to make me feel good about myself. I'm gonna denigrate their home so that I can feel good about my home. Which means that we don't really trust our home. Because if I have to do that, I don't trust my home. It means I'm still doing all kinds of karmic labor to fix something and put it in place that I don't trust. If I trust where I am, I don't need to talk about people like that. I don't need to do that. I don't need to speak myself above others. If I trust If my body trusts where it is, if my heart trusts where it is, I just don't need to do that. It's always painful when I catch myself saying something that just doesn't need to be said. There's no point in it being said and it's even harmful. So this ceremony ceremony of home leaving is a vow particular is a vow that a priest takes but it's also a vow that we all hold in our hearts. We're all holding this home leaving vow in our hearts. And again, not because we're disparaging where we come from, not because we're leaving it behind in some definite sense, but because we have to free ourselves from it, to return to it with compassion and discernment. We have to free ourselves from the karma of our lives and all the lives that influenced our lives, to be able to turn back to them with love, full love, completely holding them in our hearts as thank you. Thank you actually for, for being here for me. For making what I call me possible. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna do some things differently. Because there's, the, there's some other ancestors that I think are, got something going on and I'm gonna do, what, I'm gonna do some of that too. And there's some other ancestors, and there are other ancestors, and a few more ancestors, and all these ancestors have wisdom, and I'm doing my best to listen to it all and figure it out, and show up with love. May our intention equally penetrate the Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.